Hey, Life Canton, Roger here, one of the directors, and just so glad that you are with us, whether you're a brand new listener or a returning one. Like always, I remind you to like, subscribe, uh, our videos, all that stuff, so that people can find the stuff we put out. Um, I said like I always say, but I forget to say that sometimes. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, if you've been with us all summer, then you know that we're in our summer series on Mark, and today we have a very special guest speaking, our friend and pastoral intern John Smith is going to give uh, his first message from stage. He does a great job, so excited you to give that a listen. Go ahead and do that, and I will catch up with you in just a minute. Amen. One more time, amen. amen. My name is John Smith, for real. <laughs> and I am a pastoral intern here at Life Church Canton. And I'm going to need your help while I'm up here. You see, I'm new to this. This is my. Uh, Second time up here giving a message. <laughs> and uh, if you're new here, or if you've just been here a few times, we ask that you complete a Connect card. And we've made it very easy for you. All you have to do is scan the QR code on the screen. When it comes, there it is. <laughs> and fill out the information. Or just go visit the Welcome Center. This will allow us to connect with you, and it lets us know and lets you know that you belong here at Life Church. See, that's one of our codes here. It's one of our statements as to who we are. You belong. First, I would like to thank the Lord for giving me this opportunity to speak his word. And may this message be well received and be a catalyst for change and all who hear it. Second, I would like to thank all my family and friends who came out today to hear me speak. You just don't know what the support means to me. See, this has been a long time coming. Thank God for a praying grandmother. Amen. And lastly, I would like to thank Pastor Jared and Life Canton for giving me this opportunity to speak and to be a difference in my community, to live into God's plan for me. You see, having someone like me speak from this stage speaks volumes as to the type of church I want to be in and the type of church we have here at Life Canton. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this day that you have made, and we will be glad and rejoice in it. I thank you, Father, for the gift of life, and I pray that you protect us from all harm, seen and unseen. I pray that you build a fence of protection around us to keep us safe. I pray that you increase in us our knowledge of you, your will for us, our love of you, our faith and our trust in you, and our communication with you. I pray that you bless us in our thinking and decision-making by giving us knowledge and wisdom, understanding, direction, 
discernment and guidance. And I pray that you give us all the provisions that we need, whether they be physical, mental, emotional, financial, or spiritual. I invite the Holy Spirit into this gathering and may it be well received and flow throughout our church. May the Holy Spirit fill us, shape us, guide us, and transform us more into the image of God. And may it magnify and glorify you, Father. Amen. You see, we're doing a series here on Mark, and we've heard some great messages on Mark. I love the kickoff we have from Pastor Vincent when he talked about Mark, and he asked, who is Mark? See, I learned that John Mark was his real name, and that he was not one of the disciples. He did not walk and learn from Jesus. You see, he was a helper who accompanied Paul on his first missionary journey. And then Pastor Roger spoke about evangelism. And Roger defined what an evangelist is. Very simply, it's someone who meets Jesus and tell others how he saved him. And we can all do that. And then a few weeks ago, Pastor John, JG as I like to call him, John Grandy, he taught me something new. See, he taught me about a Mark sandwich. See, that's a parable sandwich between two stories linking one ideal, which happens a lot in Mark. And then Sister, my niece Roberts, woo she spoke beautifully on Mark 8, 27 through 31. And she asked us three things. She asked us to write down one positive statement that describes us. And then she asked, does it matter what other people think about you? And lastly, she asked, have you ever asked someone, who do you say I am? And she asked us these questions because she wanted us to identify our identity. Kind of stole my thunder a little bit, but that's okay. You see, personally, I believe Mark was written for people like me. It is the shortest of the Gospels. It's only 16 chapters. It was probably the first gospel written, and it records more miracles than any other of the gospels. And all but 31 verses are quoted by other gospels. You see, Mark is all about action, and it hits the highlights of Jesus, his mission, his life, and his message. Mark is the action movie of the gospels. Now, how many people out there love action movies? If you didn't know it, <laughs> I love action movies. <laughs> it has been said that in communicating, some people just want the headlines. I'm dating myself here, using a line from Sergeant Joe Friday from the television series Dragnet. The facts, ma'am, just the facts. And then there's some people, they say need the details, <laughs> like my wife, Rita. <laughs> she needs it all. But the full story, which is what I say, why I say that Mark was written for me. You see, I have struggled with my identity for a long time. And chapter, the verse that we're going to get into, to me is about identity. 
It's about who I am and whose I am. What idols do I have in my life that keep me from completely loving God? You see, is this one of the idols that we have in our lives? Do we wake up and the first thing we do in the morning is to check our phone to see what someone has said on us on our Facebook account or our Instagram or to check our text messages or our emails before we give God thanks for waking us up and giving us another life and giving him praise. If you do that, this is an idol. You're putting this before God. You see, in Galatians 4, 7, it says that we are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. So what does it mean to be a child of God? <laughs> you see, it means that we are an heir. We have an inheritance that is coming to us, that has been promised to us. And we know that God don't lie. The title of my sermon is Whose You Are Determines Who You Are. And it's dealing with Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 31. So let's go ahead and take a look and examine Mark chapter 10, 17 through 21. As Jesus started out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, why, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I'd obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. A couple of things. First thing I want you to notice is that Jesus rebuked him for calling him good. You see, the rich man ruler was calling Jesus God, whether he knew it or not. And I say that Jesus was saying he is God. <laughs> but that's for another sermon. But did you notice that he didn't tell him the first or the second commandment? That you should have no other God before me. And that you should not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down 
to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Exodus 20, verse three through six. For you see, the rich man's ruler, his idol or his barrier, if you like, was his money, his wealth. It was his identity. His identity was his wealth and his idol was his money. Now I want you to remember that in the first century, at the start of our religion, people gave and sold their possessions and gave the money to the church for the betterment of the community. So those who lacked didn't lack anymore. And the rich man just couldn't do that for his wealth was his idol. And see, Tim Keller in his 2011 book, Counterfeit Gods, The Empty Promises of Money, Sex, and Power, and the Only Hope That Matters, defines an idol as anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, and anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. So my question to you is, what barriers do you have in your life that is stopping you from giving all your heart to God? Is it money? Is it your job? Your position at work? Is it pride? Is it family? Relationships? Or fear? Yes, fear can be an idol. What is God calling you to do that you are afraid or fearful of doing? What is holding you back from completely trusting God? You see, I wonder how many businesses haven't been started because of fear. I wonder how many degrees have not been earned. How many ministries that have been delayed? Because if God called you to it, you can't stop it. You can only delay it. You see, the Bible gives us two important warnings about idols, whatever form they take. First, it warns us that they are false, that only God can meet our deepest moral and spiritual needs. And second, it warns us that nothing should take God's place in our lives. The Bible says, you should not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything. Exodus 20, verse 4. You see, I believe that Jesus, being God, knew the outcome of his interaction with the rich man ruler. And if we look at Mark verse 10, verse 21, Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. You see, many of you may know my history, but some of you probably don't. You see, I'm an addict, an addict in recovery, but still an addict. In my 29 years of experimentation, use, abuse, and finally addiction, I was putting my own desires 
my own selfishness ahead of loving God. I was putting drugs and their effect on me first in my life. They were my idol. They were my barrier to putting God first in my life. You see, I forgot whose I was and who I was. I was defined by my idol and not by what God wanted for me. You see, I was lost, yet he saved me. He rescued me from my own selfishness, my own desires, my wants, and my addiction. Why, you may ask, would God do that? You see, I was lost, and Jesus came looking for me. He left the 99 to look for the one. Some may ask, why would he leave the 99 to go look for the one and rescue him or her and say that that's not practical or worth it? That is, until you're the one. You see, Jesus saved me. And he saved me because he loved me. Even in my addiction, my worship of idols, God loved me. And he loves you, even in your sins. Yet while you're sinning, he still loves you. See, Jesus loved me so much that he died for me. I'm going to say that once again. That Jesus loved us so much that he died for us. And then Jesus talks about in Mark 10, 23, about getting into the kingdom of God. And see, Mark verse 10, 23 says, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. You see, I thought for a long time that Jesus meant that literally. (laughs) That the eye of a needle, I came to find out, is more than just a metaphor for a very narrow opening. You see, there's a gate in the wall of Jerusalem that is narrow and low. And to get through it, the camel had to take off what he was carrying and, and bend down to get through it. So instead of putting things on to get to God, maybe we should take some things off. Maybe we should take some things off our plate and lose some of the things that we have put before him. You see, the rich man ruler, he couldn't save himself. Only God can save you. And then in Mark 10, verse 26 to 27, the disciples were astonished. Astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not impossible with God. Everything is possible with God. The disciples were astounded because in ancient times, their culture saw wealth as a reward for good and moral behavior. Prosperity was a sign that you were following God 
and doing as he said and that he was pleased. And it also worked in the opposite way. If you had an affliction or a disease, it was something that you had done to cause that. If you remember the story of Jesus healing the blind man who had been blind at birth, it was asked, what sins did his parents commit or did he commit in the womb? Now, what sins could he have committed in the womb? <laughs> and then in Mark 10, 28, Peter began to speak up. And I love Peter because Peter's a lot like us. He speaks what's on his mind. He does what's in his heart. And he says, we've given up everything to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus said, yes. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now a return of a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. You see, there is a cost to following Jesus. He will invite you to give up some things. See, you're going to lose some things. You're going to lose some people, some relationships, some jobs, some careers, some love. You're going to lose some anger, some envy, some hate, some racism. See, you have to give up some things to get some things. And you can get peace and joy and contentment. See, those are the things that you get by giving up something. And you get eternal life, which I say is worth giving up. Eternal pleasures to receive. You see, who you are and whose you are is determined by our identity. God knows our true identity even when we don't. You see, the rich man ruler, he didn't know who he was, or more importantly, whose he was. Now, I know many of us have asked this question, who am I? What is my purpose here on earth, my destiny? I have asked this question many times, and I still do. Am I a man? Am I a father? A husband? A teacher? A manager? Am I a preacher? I have to ask these questions to figure out who I am. But more importantly, I have to figure out whose I am. I was once told that the two most important questions in life are who I am, and even more importantly, whose I am. What is my identity? Am I who I say I am, who my parents say I am, or my friends, or society, or social media, coaches, or teachers? You see, even science confirms what God had already created. 
The definition of identity from psychology today says, identity encompasses the memories, experiences, relationships, and values that creates one's sense of self. This amalgamation creates a steady sense of who one is over time, even as new facets are developed and incorporated into one's identity. Identity includes the many relationships people cultivate, such as their identity as a child, friend, partner, and parent. It involves external characteristics over which a person has little or no control, such as height, race, or socioeconomic class. Identity also encompasses political opinions, moral attitudes, religious beliefs, all of which guide the choices one makes on a daily basis. So we can see that identity is very important. It shapes us, it defines us, it determines who we are. It is part of us. It shapes our actions, our hopes, our dreams, our career choices, who we marry, where we live, and more importantly, who we worship. Many have no idea who they are, and younger younger people struggle with this burden of this question and searching for an identity to become. Yeah, I feel sorry for them today because they're bombarded by outside forces telling them who they are instead of looking to the source. You know, I can say that you cannot know who you are until you know whose you are. You know, I I know I'm the son of John and Loretta Smith, and that carried an expectation of behavior when I was outside in the world. I had to act a certain way, be respectful to my elders, considerate to others, and not get into trouble. (laughs) That didn't always work out. I am a Smith, and that carries weight. I had to live up to my family name. My family, my birth, carried some blessings and responsibilities with it. My blessings were that I could sit at my mother's table and be fed. She would protect me and keep me safe. She would love me, care for me, and clothe me. Now, being a child of God means I have some of the same blessings and responsibilities. I can sit at God's table. He will love me. He will protect me. He will keep me safe. He will care for me. He will clothe me. But I also have some responsibilities, too. You see, I got to honor him above all. I have to love him. I have to love others, even my enemies. And I have to imitate his son, Jesus. You know, as I was saying earlier about the younger people in this generation today keeps being defined by other outside sources. They haven't looked at the source. You see, I used to be a forensic debater in high school, and we use evidence to prove our points and our cases. And one of the things that you wanted to do was to make sure that you checked your source. So you wanted to have a good source, an authority, to prove your point. Well, see, let's look at the source today. See, my Bible in 2 Timothy, verse 3, 16 to 17, says all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. 
so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, the source, the Bible tells us who we are. God made us in his own image so we can look like and imitate him. Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. He's the very breath in our lungs. We are his children. He is our parent, our father, our provider, our protector, and the source of our strength. You see, in Romans 8, 16, it says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We can see that we are his children, his offspring. We are his. You see, I like acronyms. And for you, I'm sure of you, some of them know some, particularly for those Texans out there. LOL. Laughing out loud. And then we have SMH. Shaking my head. <laughs> and of course, for those who are arguing over who's the greatest, LeBron or Michael Jordan, the GOAT, the greatest of all time. And then we have my license plate. See, Pastor Jared asked me, <laughs> what does your license plate mean? <laughs> Jazz rock. And then I'm going to tell you what it means in my best evangelist voice. <laughs> Jesus always saves redemption on Christ. Not really. <laughs> it's my name. John Allen Smith and part of my nickname, Rocky. But I have some new ones for you, too. His. See, this is the Holy Spirit implanted in us by sacrifice. Child of God. Thank you, Mama Delphine. Created higher in loving devotion, overcoming fear, giving obvious dedication. So when I say whose you are, you can say his. And when I say who you are, you can say a child of God. Remember, I told you I was going to need some help. Okay? First John 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. So we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Who are you? Child of God. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Whose are you? No weapon formed against you will prevail and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And this is the, their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Isaiah 54, 17. Who are you? One more time. Who are you? 
Romans 8, 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are called sons of God. Whose are you? Romans 9, 25 through 26, concerning the Gentiles, God says in the prophecy of Hosea, those who were not my people, I will not call my people. And I will love those whom I did not love before. And then at their place where they were told you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. Who are you? But to all who did not receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John 1, verse 12. Whose are you? For the Spirit of God gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. 2 Timothy verse one, chapter 1, verse 7. Who are you? See, when the enemy attacks you, you need to be able to stand and tell him who you are, that you are a child of God. Tell him that he better check your lineage, that you are the son or the daughter of the one and the only true living God, that you are the brother or the sister of the one and the only begotten son of God, that you are the beloved son or daughter of God. You are his. You are a child of God. You see, now that we know whose we are, we can say who we are. And we can answer the question that what is our identity is? What idols we worship? What barriers we have that stop us from completely loving God? We can reclaim our identity in Jesus and bear Christ's torch of justice and love. You see, it's important to know whose you are so you can know who you are. And that will shape your identity. So I need you to do some things. I have some action steps for you. And one of them is you're going to determine what idols are keeping you from living into what God has planned for you. What fear is keeping you from doing what he's told you to do. You see here in Life Canton, we have a series of classes called Life Journey. And it's designed to take a non-believer and move them all the way through into discipling someone else. And our second class is called Encounter. And in Encounter, we try to develop the truths and the habits that will help you encounter Jesus, God, every day in your life. And the next thing that I need you to do every day is to pray every day. And all prayers is just you talking to God. That's it. Start out 15 minutes a day. And I guarantee you that soon that 15 minutes will be over an hour. The second is to read the Bible daily. You see, Jesus used scripture to rebuke the devil when he was tempted in the desert. So we need to know them as well so that we can rebuke the enemy. The third is to be more aware that you are a child of God and all that that entails. So I need you to tell yourself every day that you are a child of God and all that it entails. You see, there are some promises God has made to you and to me. And we know he don't lie. 
And the last is remember that God loves you always. And there's nothing that you can do about to change that. One more time, I'm going to say this again. Remember that God loves you always. And there's nothing that you can do to change that. You see, I just want to magnify and glorify God and to live his will, not mine. And I pray that you want to do the same. Thank you. Amen. Welcome back. Uh, What a powerful message about who we are and who we belong to and the importance of understanding our identity as God's children and how that shapes our whole lives. So I hope that that encourages you this week, also reminds you uh, where your identity really lies. But if you are going through anything, whether processing something from that message or just have something you have going on in your life that you can use some support and encouragement, please let us know. We believe that you belong and we want to get you plugged into this community and also encourage and support you. So fill out a connect card. That's going to be the best way to do all of that. Um, let us know if you need prayer or, or any other kind of support. Also, I want to remind you that this is an opportunity to give to the mission of God at this church, what he's doing through not just uh, stories and, and sermons like we use her from John, but from all of the ways that he moves individuals in our community um, to accomplish his will and to do his kingdom work. Uh, and you can give online or via the Church Center app, but I would encourage you to do that, to take advantage of this opportunity to pour into God's work uh, in this community. I hope you have a blessed and wonderful week, and we'll see you again next week. Bye.